1990, the internet as we know it was created. An invention of infinite possibilities and unknown potential. There are now over 2 billion websites currently in existence. A wealth of information, functionality, and social media. However, if you dig deeper, there lies more beneath the surface. The strange, bizarre, and dark corners of the net. Welcome to the Weird Wide Web. Welcome back to the Weird Wide Web. Wee, 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 wee. Joined as ever by Nile and his wee woo wee woos. Did you notice I did three? Three wee woos? Yeah, for 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 the three Weird W's. Wide Web. Yeah. Wee woo yeah. wee woo wee woo. Everybody knows our call. <laughs> you yell it out to us in the street yeah. when we spawn. You see us. Woo-woo. Oh, the cops are coming. <laughs> the pervert police. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're jumping back into the vertical plane, part two. Uh, what do you remember from our lovely part one introduction of this? mysterious tale i remember a computer or Mm -hmm. maybe not a computer well well depending on which year you're in depending on which storyline you're you're following um true there were a bunch of johns i think was that the name (laughs) at least three i would say and i think there's gonna be more (laughs) there's more to come there are more johns to come it's a story of johns oh man but uh yeah little um mystery still don't understand completely if it's a parallel kind of timelines going on or what's going mm-hmm. on exactly but where do we leave off we didn't know oh we didn't know what was happening to our our friend in the past Lucas. yeah yeah pretty much where we left off is we've got this new contact 2109 we don't know what's up with their deal and lucas by all means is gone you know we probably dead probably dead well he's at least been dead for 400 years but (laughs) he's definitely dead in the current time not a mystery dead (laughs) no 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 that's not the mystery yeah it's a pretty good summary yeah we got some spookiness some mystery some sci-fi it's a an amalgamation of a lot of different things yeah Uh, but without further ado i think we just jump right in to part two of the vertical plane which happens in messages in 1984. <laughs> well, technically we're uh, technically we're in 1985. Oh, God fucking damn it. <laughs> I'm sorry. 1984 was only a few months. Damn it. Well, but you know, I had to get you excited. Well, you know, if we're in 85, Mackie is mm. still on the loose. Still on the loose. Yeah, definitely. He could be in Donaldson, UK. Who knows? He might have been on the run. Or he could be in the attic still. <laughs> Nobody would expect him. Nobody expected him to do it the first time. They definitely wouldn't expect it a second time. It's the perfect hiding space. It's amazing. Space. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he was hiding in the computer. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. The loss of Lucas sits heavy in the minds of Ken, Deb, and Peter despite the invasive poltergeists that have plagued the small cottage at a consistent pace, Lucas had become a true friend to the trio. Though, feasibly with no control over that situation, Ken, Deb, and Peter focused on this new character, 2109. Ken's 
calling 2109 message had led to his response, though not to the satisfaction of the three. The structure of their first response resembled that of the first message that the trio had received. Ken immediately disliked them, stating, <laughs> stating their riddle-infested messages. Message structuring seemed intentionally deceiving. The message was also filled with strange spelling errors, which Peter took as an unmistakable sign this whole situation was a hoax. Regardless, they sat waiting for the subsequent response, which wouldn't come until the 10th of May. Outside the computer, a Latin message for Peter etched in chalk was found in the kitchen. Upon translating it, another supposed threat was unveiled, something Ken felt quite tiring at this point. Shortly after, a new message arrived from 2109. Your questions will be answered. That's a fucking lie, by the way. Nothing until the next day. Then, not enough power. They questioned what they could do and what power source was required. 2109 responded with, Go to sleep. Alone. And so, Ken left the cottage as Deb settled in for a nap alone. Under these circumstances, a new message was received from 2109. First, what help do you require? If you wish to know Lucas Wayman's true name, we can say no more than the man named Peter has it, page 26. The person whom you refer to as John is not to be trusted. Also, there is nothing to fear outside man. True, but you are not fully capable of knowing just what man really is without knowledge. You have fear. With fear, you create your own nightmares. Huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you see why Ken was like, fuck these guys. Yeah, immediately. I'm like, this fucking asshole. Let's go back in time again. <laughs> and uh, I know. Just question. So, yeah. Uh, I don't think you can answer it. But so this whole poltergeist or. I mean, it, really, there's two options. It's either a poltergeist or it's some very creepy stalker or, or maybe one of them even, but I, I think they kind of vetted each other. Someone playing a prank or, or a hoax or something going on here. Mm -hmm. And they get a message from this either poltergeist entity or random person that says, mm -hmm. go to sleep alone, and they just right. fucking do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I will say, there is a third option I would put out there is that it's not a poltergeist is that maybe some type of uh, time travel or time shift, uh, you know, mm -hmm. through the ley lines and the computer and the situation. So that is also a possible scenario. Got it. So if we would group it, how, how would you group? Because like supernatural, obviously, is like poltergeist. I don't know if I would put mm -hmm. like time travel in that, but like. So some unnatural maybe or yeah I like uh, I don't know I would put it mm, yeah I would put it under like paranormal yeah I guess that oh yeah paranormal if you think it's just para which is yeah. like I have a pair of jeans and normal like it's not I don't wear jeans that often so it's true you don't right and parrots not normal they talk English but they're birds yeah, oh. but they only talk the same thing, almost like Tourette's. So, like, Parrots, Tourette, if we take Tor, Tor normal, uh -huh. I tore my jeans because they were too tight. I tore, tore normal Parrots. 
Yeah, I I'd, feel like I had a stroke. I, <laughs> we just played Mad Libs. <laughs> no, oh, I was just reading another uh, message from twenty one oh nine. That's oh that's good. What I was doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very good, very good. See, it could be a hoax because you just impersonated them right there. <laughs> Following this, the group received another message. While appearing to be written in the same Old English as Lucas, the author included no signature. The group suspected this to be John, as it insisted on the three giving the person the power of the computer. So some dude in the past is like, Give me, tell me how to use this fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> During the next week, the trio received a long message from... Uh, Bresno's college librarian named Robin Peedle. Earlier in the investigation, Peter had traveled there in search of linking Lucas to someone or place in recorded history. During this, Peter met Robin and gave him the full rundown of the situation. Though Robin discovered no information then, the story stuck and pushed him to continue with further research. The culmination of this research had led Robin to amass a few suspects the strongest of those being Thomas Harden, the founder of the school Peter and Ken taught at, as well as the town Peter lived in. Robin also proposed John Harden, who became the college's principal eventually, could also be a potential match. However, these suspects did seem to rely heavily on the relationship with Harden. Ken and Peter believed Robin may have misunderstood and thought Peter was receiving the messages in Harden. Robin had also double-checked all of the works of writing Lucas had mentioned in earlier correspondence and found them to be period correct. On the 14th of May, John Stiles, the field officer contact from the SPR, eventually fulfilled his promise. A phone call from John Bucknall and a meeting set for Peter's house would start the eventual investigation by the SPR. And that is in fact our fourth John of the story. <laughs> I was just, uh, this is a web of Johns. It is a web of Johns indeed. <laughs> the trio watched as two men approached Peter's residence. The first, John Bucknall, was dressed in a drab business casual. The second, John, Peter. other John. <laughs> <laughs> he was followed by another man, an older bearded man carrying a large round stature. This was Dave Welch. Ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> the two settled into Peter's living room, and they began walking them through the events up to this point. The two men ran through a flurry of questions, seemingly focusing on Deb. The group answered all the questions to the best of their ability. Ken was swept up in feelings of intimidation and embarrassment. Soon the questions slowed, and all that was left was to visit the cottage itself. John and Dave made their way through the tiny cottage, throwing the occasional question, Ken and Deb's way. Ultimately, the two investigators end up, ended up leaving and stating they would be back to conduct an official investigation of this supposed phenomena. The day after this intrusion from the SP SPR, Deb would experience the most jarring poltergeist to date. It was around 9 a.m. and Deb had just returned from dropping Ken off at school. What she returned to froze her in disbelief. Every piece of furniture not bolted to the ground had been piled up against the wall that held the door to the kitchen. The door itself was completely obstructed. Deb walked around the outside of the home to enter the kitchen. This too she found blocked. 
peeking in the window revealed the kitchen to be in the same state of disarray as the living room. Pots and pans were scattered everywhere, small appliances flung as far as their cord would allow, and the stove tipped forward into the adjacent wall. Ken, Deb, and Peter ultimately assumed this great disturbance had resulted from the SPR's involvement. A new message is received from 2109. I actually have some pictures of the poltergeist if you want to check it out. Uh, hell yeah. Jesus, that is like... And then... That's some damage there. Yeah, that's a lot of damage, as new Billy Mays would say. <laughs> um, Wait, maybe it was Billy Mays. <laughs> just a coked oh up God. ghost just <laughs> destroying a kitchen. <laughs> oh, God. He's still trying to sell his products from beyond the grave. <laughs> a new message is received from 2109. Ken, Deb, Peter. Again, we give you two choices, together with some help. What is our name? Too perfect that we make mistakes, as we must have a character movement that casts no shadows. Thought without chemical reaction, love without passion, hate without anger, wars without life lost. How can we have a name? We are many, but no more than one in the time to come. We have no retirement. Ah, what an age to be if the digits were reversed. Marriage. 1. Do you wish to know of Lucas and what of him? Cause the computer to have been never in his time. Thus, he shall fall to no unnatural death. He would have no knowledge of you and your time to come. You shall have no proof. 2. You continue with the computer and risk the sight of your destiny. As Lucas, but ah, but something will be proved. You three must sit undisturbed and talk and listen. Most importantly, the answer will come to you all, not from an individual. Another crystal clear message from 2109. <laughs> yeah. So I'm guessing there were choices that they can make now? Yeah. So like uh, Ken had proposed, you know, you know, do you guys have a name beyond 2901? So that was their answer to the name thing. Is I don't know fucking descriptors, uh, and then uh, the two choices were like, how do you want to proceed? Basically, got it, got it. Yeah, so a little old uh, curveball to avoid the first question with just yeah blatant bullshit and confusing riddles. Right, but if you remember, they said all your questions will be answered. That's true. So. But, eventually oh you don't know there's no age when they said like the age reversed or whatever i just thought oh this guy's yeah. 96 yeah it's gotta be <laughs> what an age to be if the digits were reversed exclamation mark marriage <laughs> what <laughs> what <laughs> i had less trouble understanding the cicada 3301 messages <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is very confusing and just makes me think of, I don't, I don't even fucking know. Because, like, we don't know. I just keep going back to thinking, mm -hmm. like, it's a person. But either way, I guess yeah. in any scenario, it's technically a person going through this. But, like, what if they just, like, occasionally don't know how to work the fucking computer? <laughs> so they're trying to type this, and it just keeps coming up, like, these random, <laughs> like, a really, um, what, 
preliminary they kind of a really shit auto yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> it's like fuck no i didn't no not marriage god damn it <laughs> and it just fucking sends it it's possible real shit autocomplete yeah they're relying on like what uh how old is this computer uh it was from the 80s yeah and they're just relying on this medium yeah. to to do everything like it's gonna be a right. little limited if you're trying to decipher like time travel yeah and lucas was just talking at the box so oh yeah <laughs> there's a, that's that's a whole realm for like mistakes and misunderstandings. Yeah, dude, my Siri is it never hears me right. No, I don't want to hear the weather in in fucking Hamburg, Germany. <laughs> Ken grew increasingly more tired with the riddles from twenty one oh nine. He stalled his response to them, unhappy with what he was saying and dissatisfied with the convoluted choices they had given him. He eventually responded and claimed that they would no longer pursue Lucas, but continue communicating with John. However, they did not wish to see their destinies. Ken does agree to their demand to write a book about the whole experience. He also tacks on a response to John, promising to reveal the power behind the computer soon. John responds with impatience, though. With this, Ken discovers another message. This message was from Thomas Falhurst, the sheriff of the area. So he's figured it out. Falhurst differed from other messengers because he could be traced back to the time and place Lucas had claimed to be in. And so Ken, Deb, and Peter began communicating with another member from the past. Uh, They tracked down a Thomas Falhurst. It didn't say he, like, specifically was a sheriff, but there was Thomas Falhurst in that area in the time, and he had some connection to to the kingdom, like mm-hmm. the, like a family, a higher-ranking family, that, like, it would be feasible that he could be a sheriff, essentially. I got it. Nice use of the word feasible, by the way, when talking about the kingdoms. Uh, <laughs> it's, you know, my calendar. It was the word of the day. <laughs> John Bucknell and David Welch returned to perform their first of many investigations into the messages. With them, they bring microphones, tape recorders, sticky tape, and other clever methods to detect disturbances. The kitchen is swiftly outfitted, and a message is left for John and Thomas. Ken and Deb depart the cottage, leaving Bucknell and Welch to wait for the response. The two men held out until 9.30 p.m., with nothing to show for it. Finally, Ken and Deb returned, and the men promised to return in early June. Messages between Falhurst and the group continue, though nothing is gained. The two investigators returned, as promised, and set up a similar situation, though this time with more traps. The results, however, proved the same. No messages were received. Communication with Thomas continues and is accompanied by a new poltergeist. Throughout the day, Ken and Deb would hear the unmistakable sound of metal hitting the wall at force and then falling down. Tracking the hit, they recovered two-inch pieces of copper tubing. This continued multiple times throughout the day, and they could never see the projectile's origin, just its landing spot. Oh, wait, so they were just collecting copper tubing? Just collecting copper tubing, yeah. It's a great get-rich-quick scheme. Yeah, right? I want want a ghost... (laughs) That fucking throws valuable metals at me. 
<laughs> Debbie did, in fact, get hit by one once. Oh. Supposedly, according to Kent. Oh, well, that, oh, yeah, according to Kent. Like, Kent got pissed off and just fucking whipped one. It was like, it was the fucking ghost. <laughs> yeah, oh, poltergeist. <laughs> Weird. This poltergeist hit her in the face three times. Wow. Is that how everyone got away with, like, domestic abuse in the 80s? In the 80s? Poltergeist? No, probably not. But cocaine? You know, Salem witch trials and. <laughs> what <laughs> i was just thinking now because this is funny and and of course yeah thinking about people just probably made excuses i i mean well that's just obvious going through history this is just, <laughs> i wanted you to finish such a it i really wanted you to finish such that a, thought <laughs> such a tangent where i was okay I'll, you know what i'll finish it yeah <laughs> that people are just coming up with ridiculous excuses to like explain their thing and then it it just evolves into these stories and so it's like yeah poltergeist because i i threw copper tubing at this fucking annoying lady and then now it keeps going and god his tangents just let's end it okay we're going back into the story (laughs) yeah you know like oh i i got pregnant by an angel uh (laughs) there's just a lot of things that can spiral into huge historical matters Listen, you just, you know, you weave yourself a system of lies, and the next thing you know, you've got a uh, genociding religion. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's what, that's, I'm just making sure we're Oopsies. not taking it there. Because we could be spreading this, Oopsies. this terrible message. Yeah, Ken and Deb's doctrine. Yeah, I don't know, man. Among the back and forth with Thomas, a dazzling piece of information was gleaned. There was a slight possibility that Lucas was in fact alive. <gasps> Information that was further confirmed by another new messenger known only as Friend. This Friend hints that they know Lucas's proper name and he will give it to them if Ken, Dev, and Peter get rid of the SPR investigators. They also claim to have heard Lucas's voice singing from behind the cold bars of the dungeon a fact that shakes Debbie as only a night earlier she had dreamed of being trapped behind black bars looking up towards the cold night sky, though she had not associated this dream with Lucas until now. Using this newly gained information, the group makes the decision to threaten Falhurst into releasing Lucas, a move that eventually leads to Falhurst giving in to their demands. And... On the 25th of June, at 11.30 p.m., the group is overjoyed to read a message from Lucas. <gasps> He's back! He's back, baby! Just screaming from behind bars at this make-believe box in his land. No, no, he's out of the dungeon now. Oh, they got him out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, they, they basically, like, uh, threatened Thomas Falhurst with this like predestined knowledge so they're like we're all knowing we know you still have lucas and that he's behind bars and then <gasps> thomas was like who told you oh and they're like we have power i like it so because originally he got in trouble because of the box and mm-hmm. now the box is coming back to help him get out of the trouble by exactly. threatening the yeah, other guy he basically went to court court was like you're fucking crazy <laughs> put him in a dungeon 
But yeah, now he's out. They he scared uh Thomas Thomas so much that uh they released Lucas. Nice. He is overwhelmed with happiness by the prospect of being free and holding the company of such great friends. Understandably, he is fatigued and promises to write them tomorrow. A wave of relief flooded the cottage. Their long-term friend had finally returned. Unfortunately, though, the future of their communications was again finite. Lucas revealed that while in captivity, Thomas Falhurst had shown his land to a wealthy man named Richard Grovesner. Richard had shown interest in purchasing the property, and so Lucas had mere months left in the location. Ken could not bring himself to admit that the Grovesner family, indeed, had owned the land up until 1919. Shortly, Lucas admitted he had been forced into a deal with Richard. With their communications now on a timeline, the group decides to make the most of their time with Lucas. They dive into unraveling the mystery of the Leem's Boist, what he called the computer, <laughs> where it came from, what he knows of it, and more. Through this, we learn the origin story that started part one of this series. However, more importantly, it is revealed that 2109 has been altering Lucas's messages from the first contact with Ken, Deb, and Nick. Older copies of letters were reviewed and Lucas corrected the changes. Seemingly the strange, modern punctuation was the work of 2109's meddling. Still, as it is now custom, the communications continue with a routine cadence. By this point in late July, Ken and Deb had managed to purchase their own computer. They could not afford a printer at the time, defaulting to bringing the messages to Ken's school to print out still. The investigation by the SPR through John Bucknell and David Welch continued. This time, they devised a series of questions only they would know to be answered by Lucas. Lucas had agreed to this test despite his concern brought on by their presence to the Leem's voiced. He often mentioned that when Welch and Bucknall were in the cottage, the Leem's voiced often would fade on the verge of disappearing. The question test is again unsuccessful though later Ken and Deb observe Lucas's plea to 2109 regarding their refusal to pass his answers through to the SPR men. So now they're getting like, now they're seeing messages that aren't necessarily to them, but between Lucas and 2109. How are they doing that? I don't know. It just showed up. Oh, so They just found it. Uh... They just like go on the computer and they check through all the files, see if there's any new ones, scroll to the bottom of them. You know, see if there's anything added because it's not inherently made very clear, but I've surmised over that the method of the messages, how they receive them on the computer is always kind of different. Sometimes it's a new file with the message. Sometimes the message is added to the bottom of an existing file. Sometimes there's like a random file where a bunch of blank pages were added and it's at the very bottom, you know, so it's. They always just kind of like got to check through everything. Got it. And I guess that would make sense too for the differences in different input, people. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, the input 2109 messaging or messing with ones and creating a new file or editing an old one. All right. I'm, I'm starting to kind of understand the 
the yeah. idea, especially with them when they like can fact check timelines. So it does seem like at least we're kind of like parallel when talking to each person. Yeah. Somewhat. It definitely like, yeah, there's no like rearranging of messages, Mm -hmm. like a message they got, you know, in, you know, in May does not have to like be rearranged to something in February. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Regardless of the failures of the investigation, Bucknall and Welch continue to push on. Soon, their interest shifted to Ken's dismay onto 2109. Ken protested any interaction with the riddling future character. David Welch disobeyed this request as Ken discovered a secret message on the computer written to them by David. The next day, a response written to Welch from 2109. Buckle in. Oh, <laughs> Another shit. 2109 message. David, more answers than you have questions. But what are the right questions? A man cannot ask questions if he is unlikely to understand the answers. Yes, you're correct to say that one will not learn without questions. But there is a time to understand and a time to walk blindly. A man with hunger will eat bad fruit and surely die. Was it the fruit that killed this man, or was it the knowledge that the fruit was there for the taking? Do not waste further time by asking if the tree that bears this bad fruit is in front of you. It is better to have no knowledge at all than to have a distorted view of the truth because your lack of understanding. We, 2109, are not without compassion. But if you continue to, to disrupt our experiments, then it is likely you will find your destiny. We shall, however, allow one more communication with you so that you may ask your profound questions. We shall answer as you wish, if, in terms of physics, then it shall be so. But remember that our limits are set by your own abilities and not ours. There is no one after the man you call Lucas. The chance factor will not reoccur again in a time span your kind can relate to. <laughs> this is, I'm, I think I'm onto something from the first episode about Ooh. this is like very much like uh, McConaughey pushing books around where it doesn't make sense. Like the 2109 people are saying they have this unique uh, ability. And they've somehow understood or or understand more the the Liam's voice or whatever, um, mm-hmm. and then you can't ask questions because you're not on the same level as us. You wouldn't understand. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. We don't show you our true form because you wouldn't be able to see it. A classic trope, right? Yeah, yeah. I would. Yeah, that's. Uh, you know, nail on the head right there, I would say. Boom. Shut the book. I, I solved the uh, data list messages. I'll start ripping <laughs> out the tabs now. We don't need them anymore. Yep. On the 19th of August, per Lucas's request, the group moved the computer next to the kitchen pillar, and he moved the leams back into the fireplace. Though, with the apparent interference from 2109, a new communication solution was needed. 
Around this time, the trio began leaving out paper and pen. From this, they began receiving full written-out messages from Lucas, seemingly untampered by 2109. So we've, we've leaped oh, out of the computer. Onto a notepad. Onto any loose paper that's in the computer. Onto a grocery, the back of a grocery list. That's, that's pretty much yeah this is <laughs> pretty much so uh we're getting farther away from what we're supposed to talk about on this podcast shit <laughs> <laughs> we're going the opposite way <laughs> beans <laughs> then in late august among these handwritten messages lucas reveals his true name as he says yes you have my name in your book i think if not john put tom the pieces clicked together. As Robin had predicted so long ago, Lucas was in fact Thomas Harden. <gasps> wow. Buh, buh, buh. Um, Tom Hardy. I, Tom Hardy, that's right. This he's is, back. He's back. I'm just a Jewish guy playing in the Peaky Blinders. Yeah, I would have gone with a Bane uh, impression, <laughs> that, but sure. That would have been, honestly, the first one that came to my mind was Venom, and I was like, I don't know how to do that. Like, I just want to fucking eat everyone. Like, <laughs> was gonna, I didn't know what else to do. My name, my nose goes to, my name is Charlie Buxton. <laughs> <laughs> or you can play the twins. <laughs> oh, yeah, he could play the twins. He could play the yeah, twins. There's some good ones out there. Um, I will say, continuing this write-up, because there also is more another Thomas, uh, I just continue to refer to him as Lucas. I think it's easier that way. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. He's Lucas <laughs> in my head, so to switch it up, he's would, Lucas, right? It'd be hard. <laughs> the Thomas Harden really like. I mean, it provides a connection to somebody real in history, but other than that, it's like okay. Yeah, it's like <laughs> you're Lucas, and to them too, it's like you find out your best friend's name is like suddenly not his name. You'd be like, I'm gonna call right. you by by what I know you. Actually, Lucas, in one of his messages to Ken and Deb, he writes that uh, he, like, kind of prefers that they keep talking to him as Lucas because he's, like, become this person, essentially. This, uh, that's, that's so catfishy. <laughs> I mean, this whole fucking story is... <laughs> I mean, this <but laughs> the OG catfish. It's just... I, yeah, here's my name, but I prefer... If, let's just keep it on the DL. I'm Lucas, guys. Yeah. It's the yeah, same old, on. I'm same old fun Lucas that you guys first met. <laughs> the messages continue into, into September. 2109 continues on the computer with grand claims to block Lucas's messages and freeze him in his time. Though Lucas continues to communicate through written notes. He also informs the group of a new potential future communicator, someone Lucas calls one. The frequency of these messages seems to be picking up pace among all of the players. 2109 also fully agrees to play along with David Welch's question experiment, and in late September, he attempts it. Ken and Deb walk to the local pub as Dave Welch sits in the kitchen typing up his specifically crafted questions. He leaves them on screen as he waits in the living room. Then, once 45 minutes had passed, deletes all of the questions, and awaits a response. Unsurprisingly, the answer would not be received that night. 
Finally, around a week later, Ken discovered a response to Dave Welch's questions from 2109. Disappointingly, it was not the answers he had hoped for. Instead, the response was more of a vague comment on the questions themselves. Dave was interested that 2109 commented on some repetition found in the questions. At the bottom of this response, a strange code or line of computer requests seemingly bleeds through. A list of codes marked as requests or current states. No explanation is uncovered. It think like think like sci-fi jargon that you would see on like a fucking sci-fi computer. You know, it's like request, shipping, uh, code name, status, unfulfilled, or stuff like that. You yeah. know, it, it like looks like a list of stuff. It's very weird. It is mentioned once, and then nobody figures it out. But it seems like I guess it just adds to more of the like how they're kind of seeing conversations between Lucas and twenty one oh nine like more communications are bleeding through to their computer essentially got it but still because of the differences it's like can't fully comprehend right there's no like context Mm -hmm. for them to understand that got it john bucknall and dave welch devise more spr tests and the 22nd of october was chosen for the day curiously when two spr men arrived for the test John Bucknell was joined by a new man, Nick. As Ken describes it, Nick seemed to be around 35 and carefully dressed. The results of their tests mirror that of all they had done before, with no immediate responses. Nick's presence, however, did fluster 2109 for some reason. They continually asked for more information on him so that they were able to track his movements. Ken refuses, though more due to his lack of knowledge (laughs) of Nick. Yeah, this guy carefully dressed. uh, I don't even know anything about him. (laughs) It's he's so careful. Yeah, like what is careful dressing? Uh, it's not dangerously dressing. Safety is no accident. Ah, but accidents are safely put in the past. Yield accidents. Approaching the start of November, Lucas's limited time is down to only three weeks before Richard Grovesner removes him. Another communication is discovered, though not to Ken, Deb, or Peter, but likely between 2109 and 1. SM Fields calls more than disruption with this kind. No more games. Tell them. Why don't you? You know why. Mm. Clearly. All was not well in whatever time or space their future friends were writing from. Now late December, the SPR had seemingly closed its investigation. At the early insistence of 2109, Ken, Deb, and Peter were finally bringing their story to the press. They connected with a local journalist, Neil Bartlem, from the Chester Observer. Ken was hesitant about exposing the world to something he claimed to be embarrassing. He was even going as far as insisting on excluding 2109 from the final story. Interestingly, Neil did reveal the disheartening information in his research on John Bucknell. He had never filed a proper investigation to SPR. Not only that, but the society had no knowledge of the other two men he had brought with him. The following year, John Bucknell would eventually leave the SPR becoming impossible to contact, leaving the bitter taste of the elusive men in black over all of their research. 
communications between 2109, Lucas, and 1 would cease for the rest of that year. 15th January 1986, communications with 2109 pick back up. 2109 states to appease Ken, Deb, and Peter's insatiable hunt for uh, valid proof, they suggest a new investigator, a ufologist by the name of Gary Rowe. 2109 even provides Rowe's phone number. With much reluctance, Ken calls Gary and gives him the now age-old explanation of events. Gary's interest was piqued, and a meeting was set up. Gary Rowe differed from the flurry of questions thrown out by the SPR men and remained quiet and reserved, taking in all sides of the story. While not entirely convinced, a small kernel of information was enticing enough, and Gary agreed to return. Gary would eventually return on the 16th of February. With him, he brought a large assortment of video, audio, and light equipment, as well as energy sensors. Some of these items were for recording, and some Gary would be able to monitor live. Finally, he settled into his test. 2109 agreed to his questions, though they explained Lucas would have no part in them. Gary's method of questioning differed from SPR, choosing to write his questions down, seal them in an envelope, and leave them on the top of the keyboard. Once checked on the next day, the envelope had disappeared. <sighs> Where the fuck did it go? 2109 responds to Gary the following day. This response starts with instructions to Ken not to read the response below, to print and seal the envelope and bring it to Gary. Abiding, the group takes the mystery answers to a pub in Gary's hometown of Rill. Unfortunately, the response is less than exciting to our trio. Gary is frustratingly reserved, giving little to no response. This would become standard practice throughout March of 1986. Gary would leave an envelope of questions, Ken would blindly print 2109's response, and Gary would read it without an explanation or insight, a practice that Ken grew increasingly tired of. Then, on the 21st of March, the trio re would receive their final message from Lucas. Despite 2109's claims of blocking his messaging and freezing his time, Lucas could continue communicating through the handwritten letters. And this is Lucas's final message to the group. My true fellows and sweet maid, Grovesnor has said that Thomas must go. I know it is for the best because the people of Doddleston are very wary of me. Grovesnor says they will burn my old farm down and that, except for him, all the village despises me. At least, that is his view. It is good to know that all will change and there are true men to follow like Ken and Peter, though four hundred years is a long time and there is much to happen to mankind. It is said that men must learn righteousness from their ugly ways, believing that they have to look for the truth in ruthlessness and never follow a path that is for truth. I pray for my fellows at night that they are never imprisoned because of their love for their brother Tomas. Are we not true men? I say, woe to all you men who are not true, for you are marked by God. He will not have your company, but you will walk with the beasts of Tartus. Uh, hell, was that word for hell? Hmm. For everyone. Yes, you that have no worth in this life. I know that I must sorrow, for I cannot put these feelings to paper. But you must know that I weep and am emotional. 
I find it hard to write. Perhaps you will come to the Oxford now. I think there is no danger for me there, for I hear the king is very sick and all is quiet in the church. I shall go by boat from Chester to Bristol. There I will buy a horse, for mine will not go on a boat. It is a scare. It is scared of water, <laughs> as is as it is scared of fives, which was a horse sickness. I was gonna say, oh, like, man. he's just talking about a scared horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a lot of his messages. He just he kind of like it's like vlogging for him essentially. Oh yeah. He like talks about his days. I see and that. Stuff like that. I also weep for him. I shall try to make my stay at uh, Brezno's, the college. Though I know I was expelled many years ago, I will write my book about my brothers and maid, and of the end of Lucas and the little puppy, of, and of our love for each other. Uh, <laughs> the little puppy. I, get, I left that out. At one point... <laughs> It's, it's horrible. I shouldn't laugh at this. At one point, Deb and Ken buy a puppy. They name the puppy Lucas. It doesn't last a year. It gets really sick and passes away. It, it serves no purpose in the story except to be sad. Oh, my God. <laughs> but they name it Lucas. And also, Ken is, like, very indignant about not wanting to have this puppy. <laughs> Jesus, at least a hey, nice little note from Lucas. Yeah, yeah, he cares. Uh, one day you will all sit down at my table for wine and meet by the river in Oxford, where we shall read each other's books and laugh, and we shall speak of truth and good men, watching Oxford change together forevermore. In your time my book is old, but I shall not go to my God until it is written. Then we will all be truly embraced. My love to you all, I shall await you in Oxford. Thomas Harden. Lucas. Lucas. So that's his little final message to uh, our trio. That was, it's very sweet. It's very sweet. A little, uh, I, I can't blame him, given the time, but mm-hmm. a little heavy on the misogynistic kind of qualities at the beginning, talking about great men and we, you got to be men and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, th- there's much worse. <laughs> he'll be like, because, you know, he could see them in the cottage and he'll be like, why doth your maid, <laughs> why doth your maid speak to you this way? <laughs> it's a very, he, he ends up like kind of falling in love with Deb a little bit, but is still like very misogynist, like for the time, you know, yeah. but he's very misogynistic, but is also like. <laughs> You would be make me a fine mate. Oh my god! So he's like, yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. So he cares about them. Obviously, he mentioned the puppy, but like, mm-hmm. he's still a, a man of the fifteen hundred or whatever he was. Yeah, fifteen hundred yeah, or whatever, fourteenth century. Yeah. yeah, and would would not have a problem throwing heavy metal at at a lady. Right, <laughs> right. Now that's interesting that you would assume that that you would assume that the poltergeists are just Lucas and that there wouldn't be any poltergeists from 2109. That's very true. Cause that kind of goes back on my Matthew McConaughey thinking, right? They touching stuff and throwing copper at them. That's Oh, now, now I'm in a tizzy. <laughs> well, we are 
almost done with the story and then we can get into theories and explanations. Okay, great. With that, the group also received a somewhat final message from 2109. This long, rambling, pseudo-psychological message does nothing to clarify any questions. Instead, we see their insistence again for Ken to write a book about the situation. All in all, this series of events occurred over three years and contained over 300 messages received. Just received. Peter Trinder continued to analyze all the old English writings, ending up with somewhat of a dictionary or directory of Lucas's words. The book itself contains a write-up of his analysis and a breakdown of those words. The trio would be interviewed by a few publications and, most notably, a BBC miniseries dramatizing the events. In that series, Ken, Deb, and Peter were all interviewed, though Ken and Deb chose to have their identities obscured. So let's get into potential theories. And first I want to start off with kind of your your gut reaction of what it is. Do you feel it's more paranormal? Is it more of like a time travel thing or or a hoax? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> the so I yeah, gut has to say like the whole time travel. I'm sticking with my McConaughey mm-hmm. bookshelf kind of thing. Um, just yeah. so many things kind of line up with that. And, but then the one fact that's really kind of throwing me now is when 2109 gave them the phone number. To, and I will say, uh, Gary Rowe, actual dude. You can actually find him. He is a true ufologist. And uh, we can get into kind of what he thinks about the whole thing. Yeah, that's, that's the one thing. Because it's like, Maybe if, if whoever's running this and they were getting like mm. closer or getting worried or something, now they have an yeah. excuse to throw someone actually in there and put in like an inside man. Right. I, I have to say, I know you initially said it as a joke, the Matthew McConaughey interstellar, like poking the books thing. But in reading this and, and researching it, I was always like, I always like, yeah, it's it's got to be some kind of time travel, but all the poltergeist stuff always held me back from being like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is just like some time warp, some time travel thing. I hadn't even considered that they like in the time warp could be affecting things. The poltergeist always like inherently made me think of something paranormal. Mm-hmm. But yeah. It could be. It could be a Matthew McConaughey type of situation. I know. It it lines up like pretty fucking well. They had fucking scientists on that movie, right? There's some truth behind it. Yeah. They ended up living on some weird halo type, like fifth dimension world thingy. Yeah. So uh, I guess we can get the first, the first theory, the, the less fun of all the theories. To the, that it's a hoax. Yeah, the real one, probably. <laughs> the re- <laughs> so uh, people are like, obviously, Ken and Deb concocted this whole situation. I don't want to say that Ken just wrote the story making up all of it, because he didn't. Well, if it is a hoax and they're behind it all, they for sure fucking put in the effort to have all of these messages. Mm. You know, they had them printed out. They fooled other people there are visitors who talk about their experiences in this cottage you know experiencing some of the poltergeists or experiencing receiving a message on the computer 
So if it is a hoax, they put some fucking work into it. That's true. Even just the pictures, like lugging around all that fucking furniture and fucking up your oven. It's a lot. It's, it's a lot. It's a pretty good prank. Now, another thing is all throughout the book, as Ken just writes it and kind of explains his experience, and people have pointed that out, this out before, he's super fucking heavy handed with like, I don't believe in this. I'm just telling you the facts. He's like, I don't know. I don't believe it. It's like, it's like a double bluff. You know, mm. he's really leaning into the fact like, ugh, I'm just, I'm just telling you what's happening. Come on. Like, I'm not some kook. I'm not crazy. You know? So he's really heavy handed in that. And in the BBC uh, series, they may have had a handwriting or not a handwriting, like a writing analysis done between Lucas's writing and Ken's writing in the book, there may have been a little bit of simu- similarities in terms of like sentence structure, like very much the same. Oh, yeah. But they didn't mention anything about 2109's sentence structure. So, oh, because it was fucking ramblings. Maybe. And I will say, in defense of it not being a hoax, uh, to, to, defend the handwriting the the writing analysis is most people's theories are that deb was the writer you know and women couldn't write in the 80s no so that's got to be thrown out the window no but i'm saying they didn't compare to her writing does that make sense yeah that makes sense yeah so some people say it's a hoax because deb was writing it Yeah, because Deb seems to have the most time in the house when messages are received. It is explained as the fact that, like, she has this, uh, like, otherworldly connection to Lucas. She does the dreaming, you know, she's in in his home, yada, yada. She takes a nap when he wants. (laughs) Yeah. So there's that. I, I mean, it definitely, there is, oh, man, I looked it up. I wish I could remember. There was a science fiction novel that came out in like 1980 that was very similar to this story in terms of like communicating through a computer to a different time but it could be coincidence yeah. who knows maybe it was ken doesn't there's someone else as a sci-fi guy you know yeah we don't know the the other weird thing that kind of i, I would pick up on if i thought this was a hoax is that in a few messages, they make it so apparent that you need to publish this. You need to write a book mm-hmm. and publish this. Right. That's almost a little like, well, I'm just, I'm just doing what they told me to. Hey, don't look at me. I'm just following orders. Yeah. This guy from the 1500s runs my life for the past three years. Mm-hmm. I'm just doing it because I live in this little cottage. Now, I will say some responses on the computer from Lucas they received within like an hour of writing to him and for somebody to be able to write a response in that supposed old English, that would be kind of tough and be silent and escape because there were other people there. It wasn't always just like just Ken and Deb, you know? Yeah. The, the other one thing though, I get the computer because the computer is a different kind of medium where obviously shit can get deleted, things can pop up. There's different ways you can like input it. You can add whatever files, like shit like that. But the handwritten and like the letters 
that they go disappearing and then reappearing and stuff. That's where I think that bodes well for the hoax theory. Oh, bodes well for the hoax. Yeah, because how do you explain letters There's his disappearing? Letters. The fuck are those? That that's Lucas's handwritten letter. That fucking uh, Tolkien writing those goddamn things. It does look like Tolkien was writing these. Oh. <laughs> yes, <laughs> pulled straight from the Silmarillion. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they established early that Lucas could obtain some things from the kitchen. Like he he got the picture of the jaguar. You know, that's hilarious. Like. He doesn't even go shopping. He's just like, oh, I can get lemonade through this magic portal in my fucking living room. <laughs> oh, God. I didn't, I didn't even think about the fact that he was just eating their food. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> They're like, that's why he got arrested. Because they were like, Lucas, we haven't seen you leave your, your cottage in, in months. How are you alive? <laughs> they walk in. He's just got like lemonade and fucking <laughs> beans and you- shit. You appear to possess something called a ring ding. (laughs) (laughs) What is this cat food you have? (laughs) But honestly, fuck that. Okay. Hoax is not fun. Yeah, not fun. (laughs) Hoax boo. Okay. Next theory. Let's get into some fun stuff. So the next two theories are the differences between paranormal or time, you know, time warp, time shift kind of world. Uh, In the paranormal experience we have like the poltergeists and stuff like that lucas could himself be a dead spirit that is just inhabiting that space who believes he's still alive it is not uncommon as you know from many ghost uh shows Mm -hmm. that electronics are used to communicate with uh ghosts such as spirit boxes which pick up you know supposedly ghost you know sounds and stuff like that so it is not uncommon that technology is used to communicate with ghosts. So a computer could just be another aspect of that. And that could mean that 2109 is just another spirit. A trickster, maybe. Ah, yes. One of those. Oh, I forget what the name of the... I, as you know, I used to have my little notebook of, of different ghost definitions and, and stuff. Mm-hmm. I forget what the one was called. A slider or something. It might have been more intricate from that. But it would be like one of the ones that would would hide in like corners and and slide around different objects, um, oh. and then like like a like a little tricky trickster. Yeah. Did they ever throw two inch pieces of copper tube? I don't know. I gotta check my notebook. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think someone actually stole it. Oh. Whoa! It's trapped in the past and or the future. Whoa! I gotta write to myself. <laughs> <laughs> And then we have the other side of things that it, you know, is some kind of time travel, time riff kind of uh, explanation. In many of 2109's messages, they, one reveal, they're like, they ask them where they're located and they reveal uh, a location which they have to find on an old solar system map. So it's not so much a location on Earth, but maybe somewhere off of Earth. They also give the explanation to David Welch that they're, their existence in this phenomenon has something to do with tachyons, some like theoretical energy type deal, I believe. Um, Isn't that Star Trek? Yeah, some Star Trekky thing, probably. <laughs> I think this could go both ways. The way I understand it that is in favor of it not being a hoax is that throughout some of the messages, especially with Lucas and stuff like that, 
there are some historical inaccuracies. And you'd think if somebody was hoaxing, they would be pulling from information, right? They would want the hoax to seem true. So why get things wrong, right? Yeah, but that's a great question in life, yo. Why get things wrong? Because people people are fucking idiots sometimes. And they get (laughs) things wrong, not on purpose. Yeah, that's true. And I think people have always been idiots. And I think there's going to be a fair amount of idiots in the future. Probably. I count myself one of them. (laughs) (laughs) A last, and mm, not so much a theory, but just kind of Gary Rowe's takeaway. So Ken didn't really like Gary Rowe. Uh, one because he was not really giving them anything, you know. They were like Gary Rowe was having a pi- private discussion with twenty one oh nine essentially, and there was one time where the envelope that Gary gave Ken and Deb to put on it had like some occult symboling on it, and Ken was like, "I don't introduce this occult shit into our cottage and into this phenomenon," and Gary's like, "Okay, fine," and then came back with another envelope that Ken said was clearly just the original envelope put in a different envelope. (laughs) (laughs) But to this day, Gary Rowe has said very little about his experiences, except that he wholeheartedly believes in it. And people theorize that there are, there is a hidden understanding And like all of the misspellings in 2109's messages, all of the strange old English that Lucas uses is a code, essentially, that will unlock another meaning to the messages and reveal truths about the future. And Gary Rowe kind of doesn't deny this and kind of supports that. It's even gone as far as people really reading into errors and like uh, uh, stuff like that in the original edition of the book. Like that's how far they, that's how deep they think it goes. They think Ken knows something and the, uh, the, the like puzzle just needs to be unlocked with all the messages. So that's kind of Gary Rowe's understanding. Got it. That's, I, that might be overcomplicating things. <laughs> it might be, it might be. But those are kind of all of the theories of the vertical plane. I think that's fun. I really think we're onto something with Interstellar. It, it's honestly, you've convinced me to this point. I think it is a time shift kind of idea. I always kind of had the feeling that 2109 wasn't uh, a sp- specific person, but maybe kind of like a hive mind situation. Uh, yeah, I got it. And I'm still a little interested in that whole one character, too. Yeah, so kind of like a rebel in the future. He kind of warns Lucas to things. He warns Ken and Deb to, like, not trust 2109. So there's, like, clearly some, you know, trouble in the future or a different solar system. Who knows? So... Yeah, one of my thoughts, too, was uh, if 2109, why are you fucking being a riddle? Like, just immediately tell them, hey, stop throwing plastic in the ocean. Like, shit that would help back then. But then also, on the other side is, now, obviously, they're in some higher intelligence. Um, They've they've clearly humanity or whatever, 
has evolved is mm-hmm. now in a, a different place in 2109 uh maybe they wouldn't tell them because obviously whatever happened in the past led to them so maybe yeah. maybe they wouldn't be as kind of forthright with them that's a great question at the end of the day what's the fucking point why yeah. opening these communications yeah what the what, fuck like what did it lead to nothing it led to ken selling a book that was mildly successful uh, very mildly no offense to ken it just didn't take off it's not a huge thing he got inv- interviewed a few times by like some by the 14 magazine uh yeah 14 magazine i believe it was but like you know it didn't give him any great success yeah maybe we'll we'll have to see you know if this podcast is still around in in how many 87 years yeah we'll we'll find out yeah i think that's reasonable start eating your veggies <laughs> <laughs> gross it's all cheese for me thank you oh man and <laughs> so the last thing i think i think we solved it yeah. McConaughey, we're gonna find out in 80 years um yeah so ken wrote a book but yep it also sounds like lucas wrote a book lucas did write a book is there according to him yeah we don't have any knowledge of a book never been found not even by like tom harden anything nothing damn dude yeah i mean that is the real kind of like you know last piece to the puzzle that proves it all right mm-hmm. uh but no people have tried tracking it down or anything even similar uh to no avail it would be you know just be on lucas's side it would be some pretty radical ideas to put in writing mm. you know and the times not so tolerating of uh <laughs> radical devil ideas like like the leams voiced yeah that's true also when did uh gutenberg do the uh the printing press yeah i don't know but he germany he was in germany yeah and like obviously whenever the printing press got around it would have been uh obviously printing the most important stuff not like this guy who's probably like you need to read this and spread it to the masses and they're like uh right, your book right. sucks bro uh yeah. and they throw out the one copy and now we have no we're like uh yeah that seems interesting but we're gonna go ahead and just print 500 more copies of the bible yeah <laughs> this story is way more believable <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, did you read this one chapter where Jesus goes into a cave and finds dinosaurs? Yeah, there's 40. Because the Vatican cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's our God. <laughs> oh, God. But, oh, shit, to connect the stories. Connect away. But to Interstellar? No, to the Bible. Oh, oh to the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, I like where this is going. You know who wrote one of the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yup. It was fucking John, baby. <laughs> it's all we need. It's another fucking John in the story. Oh, <laughs> there's so many Johns. I don't get it. I don't know, man. And just unoriginal names here. Yeah. Well, that has been the vertical plane. I know. A departure from the internet. But man, come on. What a great fucking story. It was awesome. I I it's, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think yeah. uh I think we're really onto something, kind of combining theories here and and using movies. You guys 
thought our little movie quotes and, and bring ups didn't actually <laughs> relate to any of these stories. Well, fucking. They're very intentional. Eat that, bitches. McConaughey. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That has been the vertical plane. And that is the final episode to our season two run. <gasps> it's been an exciting time. Uh, we appreciate all the support and the, the major growth that we've seen. We just very, very thankful to all of our listeners. And, you know, we are happy that you can allow us to take a little bit of time off to recoup and prepare for our season three. We will definitely get back into more internet themed stories. I can promise you that. <laughs> And so we're going to take a few weeks off, but definitely keep looking at our Instagram because there's going to be a couple of exciting announcements that you want to keep an eye out for. Um, And I think we're going to maybe explore some restructuring, maybe, or adding, maybe, Uh, I would even say, to our content. Is this fuck? Am I getting fired? (laughs) <laughs> no <laughs> adding adding this is you started off this is like i got brought into another meeting we're gonna be doing some restructuring god damn it oh no your ptsd is showing i know i uh, i swear I, i'm doing research i swear I, I i can show you uh uh fuck no 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 you're stuck with me for the long haul my friend And in our little time off, if you've got some crazy internet stories for us to check out, hit us up at weirdwidewebpod at gmail.com or on Instagram at weirdwideweb.pod and uh, DM us and tell us some of your weird stories. If they're personal, if they're bigger, more well-known, we want to hear them. Yeah. I'm excited. Especially your personal stuff. Let's get real nitty gritty. Just send away a random DM. Don't even check if it's us. Just fucking send it. No, no, no. Blast it out into the metaverse. Yeah, you don't know who it's going to. It could be going to some guy in the 1500s or some random weird Matthew McConaughey type guy. Yeah. It's like pen pals. Yeah. Kinda. Kinda. But a computer pals. It's like prison. Prison pals. Prison pals. (laughs) All right. Thanks for joining me, (laughs) Niall. See you (laughs) next season, Yale. Another great episode, another great season.